0: Welcome to Kitchen Table Conversations, a series of short and shareable conversation starters for those of us who have or love and support people with a complicated and beautiful brain. Here's your host, Angela Geddes. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Kitchen Table Conversations. We're still in almost the middle of September, which is so hard to believe for so many of us. Um, But here we are in the middle of September, which still happens to be... um, Fetal Alcohol Spectrum Disorder Awareness Month. So I'm pretty excited to say that there's been some big things happening across the world in recognition of, um, in particular, September the 9th. And so in our little community here in Elgin County, we did take some time to meet together at City Hall. We met with uh, local MPP, Rob Flack, and we met with the mayor, Joe I always want to say Joe Thornton because he's the hockey player from St. Thomas, but what I mean is Joe Preston, who's the mayor, and who both were very pleased to be a part of um, this very small group, this community of practice, spearheaded by a long-standing community member who's been very passionately involved in raising awareness um, and building system capacity for fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. And her name is Ethel, and I won't say her last name for two reasons. One of them is because... I can't really pronounce it very well, and secondly, I haven't got her permission to speak on her behalf. So, but I just wanted to say that I was really pleased and proud to be a part of it. Uh, we had a little open house afterwards at our clinic where we saw a video of people with lived experience, people who are living with FASD, and how they so eloquently and very pointedly and candidly shared what. FASD means to them and what we as a society need to know around prevention efforts, around the language that we use, and around the kinds of supports that are necessary in order to help people to reach their potential. So it was very, very cool and very happy to be a part of that. From there, we went over to London and we saw a beautiful group of people who just very informally decided to gather. There were no uh, dignitaries, there were no agency members or practitioners it was just once again family members supporting family members and um, bringing a beautiful picnic and uh, just you know allowing for free play and for family members and parents and caregivers to get together to just enjoy one another and to you know the just the strength and the um the resiliency is is just inspiring and noteworthy, but it's also just so very cool to see how precious it is and how important it is for people to feel like they belong. So that's what I saw when I went to the community park where, you know, I saw all kinds of red shoes and I saw all kinds of red T-shirts and Just, you know, the color red, knowing where I I knew exactly where to go in the in the park to find them. So it was just lovely. Um, Now, here we are in 2023. And, you know, I'm really, really passionate about raising awareness. And I think if you've been following me at all, you realize that very clearly that prenatal alcohol exposure affects everyone, Right. We all know somebody who's been impacted or who's probably going to be impacted by prenatal alcohol exposure. Um, Alcohol is very prevalent in our culture. And it continues to be this, uh, I don't know, I want to say enigma, I'm not sure if that's the right word, but it's out there. But yet, there's still so many people who don't really want to talk, frankly, about the risks and the consequences. And that just astounds me. And I'm reading an article here this morning, that's called A Brief History of Awareness of the Link Between Alcohol and Fetal Alcohol Spectrum Disorder. And, you know, I mean, I'm not surprised to know this, because I wrote it in my thesis. Um... And I, I, you know, I've learned about this for quite some time, but, you know, in the biblical book of Judges, pre-1700, there was documentation of an awareness of the link between alcohol and the, the health impacts, and that, you know, alcohol is a teratogen, and it should be avoided during pregnancy. In Robert Burton's book, which was published in 1621, the book was called The Anatomy of Melancholy. And this book demonstrates Aristotle's awareness of prenatal alcohol effects by using some of the quotes within this book. So this has been no secret. So, This is what, I guess, those of us who've been working in this field for quite some time and, you know, diligently contributing to prevention efforts, this is why we're a little bit puzzled right now. You know, why is this conversation not happening more often? And I can tell you that it is sticky. I can tell you that, and I've said many, many times, we need to reduce the stigma associated with alcohol use, and in particular with prenatal alcohol exposure. I was telling somebody about what I do for a living at one point, and and this is recently, where they felt that the effects that we're seeing and individuals were directly linked to their own alcohol consumption so there's still such a gap um, but you know one of my family members is is accept is expecting, and is just in the early weeks of, of pregnancy and there was an article sent to me from a, a one of the apps that she is currently using as some sort of you know direction and, and monitoring the health of the baby and what kinds of things that she can do and I have to say I'm so incredibly proud to say that there has been you know distinct and intentional efforts to avoid any kinds of um you know, alcohol or substances or even foods that, that may impact uh, the development. So this has been like a really, really healthy planned pregnancy, which is so lovely. But this app that I'm seeing, you know, has a tone within it that is just so minimizing of the significant impact of alcohol use. So for example, it says, unfortunately, drinking alcohol while you're pregnant is not considered safe. And it goes on to quote, uh, you know, or, or hyperlink to a number of different resources that will tell you that. It goes on to say, however, that although about one in nine expectin- expecting moms in the United States say that they've had an alcoholic drink within the last thirty days, so this is this was the impetus to why this article was sent to me because this person who you know, is, is obviously quite aware of the risks associated with alcohol and pregnancy. She was, you know, really dumbfounded to know that one in nine expecting parents admit to consuming alcohol during their pregnancy. How many people are not admitting to drinking alcohol during the pregnancy? So, so it's pretty, it's pretty clear that there's, there's more people than even this that are consuming alcohol during their pregnancy. And I think we know that statistically. I just had another article that said it's one in seven from Australia, uh, indicating that they acknowledge alcohol consumption during their pregnancy. But the point here is that it starts the sentence by saying, although about one in nine expecting moms in the United States say they've had an alcoholic drink in the last 30 days, according to the CDC, there's strong research supporting the recommendation to abstain from drinking completely while pregnant. Ultimately, that means it's prudent to pass up any alcohol for the duration of your pregnancy, though you can certainly ask your own practitioner for his or her advice. And this is what really got me. Because why would we open up the possibility of misinterpretation or leaving it up to individual practitioners to override these very clear guidelines. So that was quite upsetting to me. And then it goes on to say the risks of light or moderate drinking while pregnant. And it says something here about why such strong edict from the medical community? Question mark It's to be on the safe side when you have a baby on board. And I feel again that this messaging, although it's not incorrect, it's not clear enough. It's kind of like saying, well, you should have a life jacket on while you go in the boat because there's a chance that you might fall out or you might have an accident. Well, it's the evidence is much more clear that alcohol does do harm to the growing baby and there is lost potential even if we don't meet criteria for fetal alcohol spectrum disorder and we are seeing the effects in our special education classes in our speech and language therapy um, sessions we're seeing the effects in uh, when people need to go for occupational therapy because they've got sensory processing difficulties auditory processing difficulties some health effects there's an increase in celiac Uh, Disease. There's an increase in all kinds of autoimmunities. And, you know, a lot of these things, although not directly all the time, alcohol doesn't cause all of these problems, but alcohol can and is related to many of them, Um, including, you know, slower to meet developmental milestones. And, you know, as my son once said, you know, you're building a baby. Why would we put anything in our body that won't just support optimum growth and, and and good health? Why would we put anything in our body that could potentially do harm? And again, you know, for those of you who don't know, mild, mild or moderate drinking does have impact and it only takes two binge drinks to qualify for an FASD assessment if you are seeing some of the signs and symptoms in your child or a child that you are uh, supporting. So clearly, You know, two binge drinks in a pregnancy is not very much. More than seven in a week is not very much for people who consume wine with their dinner, for example. So the messaging needs to be clear that this is not like putting a life jacket on, which I do endorse, by the way. Um, And this isn't even the same as putting a a seatbelt on. I mean, if you choose not to wear a seatbelt, you harm yourself. And that's not wise and it does cost healthcare dollars if you're in an accident and you could have um you know avoided hospital care and that kind of thing. So that's another issue and I'm I'm here to say I wear my seatbelt, you probably should too. But if you don't, that's on you. If you don't put your child in a car seat, that's a charge, right? I mean it is a charge if you don't wear your own seatbelt too. But you know, the impact on somebody else is different than the impact on your own adult self, right? So this is another part of the conversation that I think we really need to have. And again, this is not to blame and to shame. This is to clarify information so that people have a right to make informed decisions. If I was expecting a baby and reading that app, I see lots of windows in that language that this is just a precautionary. This is just being very careful. And if my mother or my family consumed alcohol, and there weren't notable effects um, that were directly linked to alcohol or a learning disability, for example. Um, we wouldn't be thinking about that. And 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 even if we do have kids or or individuals with learning disabilities, um, we we don't often consider that that alcohol might have been a part of that history. Right? We're not linking that yet. So. So there's still a lot of people, including my friend who said to me, not very just this summer, like, oh, and you can't be that bad. Like our parents, all of our parents drank and we're all fine. And to which I replied, um, first of all, define fine. And secondly, in my circle, I know that there are people who are struggling with not only severe mentally mental health um, issues, but they've also got learning and social and personality difficulties that make life really, really hard for them and their families. I have families in my circle that Experience crisis after crisis, and this is all linked to mental health. And I'm here to say it's not just mental health. So, um, yeah. So we're you know again we're we're here to reduce stigma, but we're also it's also really really important to not avoid these conversations and really hit them head on which is the point of this kitchen table conversation podcast it's to bring this back to our kitchen table so that we can really challenge some of the misinformation out there and err on the side of caution because as I said to this person who's expecting a baby who you know, she was, she was able to share with me that, you know, she's heard people kind of laugh about alcohol use in pregnancy and kind of make fun of of it and not think that it's a very big deal at all that people are overreacting. And what I said to her was that all she would need to do is follow me around for a half a day, or all they would have to do is follow me around for a half a day. And they would very quickly learn that this is not something to laugh at. Um, you know, people and families are really struggling. I this week I had three pa- caregivers call me before nine a.m. in crisis. I had three other members um, who I support who are now without a safe home, and I had two others in the last week who voiced that although they're not uh, actively planning to die by suicide, really would prefer to die than to be living with this um, very, very complicated condition. And now I'm also here to say there's a number of people with FASD that are thriving, that are doing very, very well. And as the video demonstrated that we got to witness um, on September the 9th uh, in my clinic that was created in part by the FASD coordinators in our area, Um, with people with lived experience, as I said, uh, you know, they made it very, very clear that in order to be successful, you can't do this by yourself. You know, families and individuals need a circle who understand them that can help make um, accommodations and create nurturing environments that allow people to really experience success. So together we can do it. So once again, thanks so much for tuning in. I encourage you to bring this very important conversation back to your kitchen tables, and I will post a link to this brief history of awareness um, between alcohol and uh, fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. And I'm here to, re- to remind everybody too, that, you know, the majority of people do not have a diagnosis. So, you know, I think less than 1% of people with FASD actually have an FASD diagnosis. And we in Canada alone have over a million and a half people who would qualify, but less than one percent of them actually have the diagnosis. So there's a lot more people out there walking around struggling with very puzzling presentations that are stigmatized and and placed to the margins of our society and are experiencing things like job losses, poverty, uh, relationship breakdowns, mental health crises, um, homelessness and job and, and food insecurity and all of those kinds of things so and and overrepresented in our justice system and certainly within our child welfare system who we do not know why so be aware of that let's talk about this a little bit and let's talk to our you know politicians and policymakers around making this a priority because prenatal alcohol exposure is the leading cause of developmental disabilities and the leading cause of learning disabilities. So to all your teachers out there, let's get better at screening and identifying and linking to the FASD coordinators in our community, because when we know better, we can do better. So again, check out my website for links for more information and and a few more articles for further reading if that interests you. Um, Yeah, thanks so much for tuning in, Angela.